Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. Really familiar portion of Scripture, but I want, you to, I want you to hear it today from the Word. From the New Living Translation, verse 8 says, This is the Lord speaking, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. That's the truth, isn't it? Um, my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. So we can't even think like he thinks to the level that we could even imagine what it must be like to be God. You've, you have no capacity to know <laughs> what it's like to be God. Verse 9 says, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And let, me, let me say it this way. If you shoot a rocket straight up in the air and it leaves the earth's atmosphere, where does it stop? It doesn't, right? Because once you get into space, you're just going to go forever. That's what God said, his ways. That's the, that's the analogy between God's ways and thoughts and ours. There is no end to how, more, how much more elevated his thoughts, his thinking is from ours. All right, let's pray. Lord, we just bless your name today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we're serving a God that is not like us that we can't understand you completely, we can't, we can't fathom you completely. Lord, we, we thank you that we trust you and that we serve you, Lord. We thank you that you would even take the time to fool with us. So Lord, I thank you that you speak truth into our lives and that you make it accessible to us through your word. And I pray that you help us to be faithful to it today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so being a follower of Jesus makes us different than everybody else. Amen? Believing in the Bible as the inspired and inerrant Word of God makes us different than everybody else. Why? Because when we believe in a God who will one day judge the people of the earth, it makes a difference in how we act, or it should. When we believe in God's word and that this word is what is the ultimate decision maker in what's right and wrong, that makes us different. See, following Jesus um, and believing in his word gives us a perspective on things that sets us apart from the rest of the world. It's called a worldview. And in our case, it's, it's a biblical worldview. A worldview is the lens through which you look at everything. It's the filter that, that things that don't measure up get caught in so that it doesn't get into your life. And for us, this is the filter. This is the lens. This is what's supposed to catch anything from coming in and taking root into our lives. All right? A biblical worldview. Now, I have heard people say this, and you'll probably hear it during the, the political stuff from this year. I've heard politicians say this. I've heard people claim to be believers, and then they say, but that doesn't affect my judgment, and it doesn't affect how I live. They say, my faith doesn't affect how I make decisions. 
Listen, let's make sure we understand each other. If it doesn't change how you see things and it doesn't change how you make decisions, then you really don't believe it. You can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself, but you don't believe it if it doesn't change you. Following Jesus necessitates that we adopt a godly, biblical worldview. Now listen, if the Bible doesn't address it, then you are free to believe whatever you want to believe. But in every area of life and culture, we have to hold every issue up to the light of Scripture before we get to say how we feel or what we think about it. Because if we are followers of Jesus, then that means we are surrendering our will to his will, our thoughts to his thoughts, our ways to his ways. Why? The opening scripture just told us. Because his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. Right? So we surrender to him because he's higher and he's wiser and he's greater. So having a biblical worldview and you've probably already noticed this, will put you at odds with the rest of the world. Because the God's thoughts and ways and views are not ours, and they're certainly not the world's. And that's what I want to talk about today. In that context, I want to talk about the, the issue of human life. Now, this is the sanctity of human life Sunday. So in, in thousands of pulpits across the country, they are addressing issues of life. And, and I say thank God for people who are still willing to do that. Um, because there are lots of beliefs about life and humanity. Lots of, lots of thoughts about where we came from and where we're going and, and how we got here and how we should treat each other. But we have to understand what the Word says before we take sides. And so um, if you have heard uh, a, a message about abortion and you think that's the only thing I'm talking about today, please don't check out, okay? Because there's stuff, we got to dive deeper than that. All right, so today's message is human life through the lens of the Word. Human life through the lens of the Word. Now, each of the points that I make today, and there are three, each of the points are a clarification or a correction of a misguided and ungodly belief that's present in our culture today. So I, what I want to do is equip you to understand the fallacies that are, that are in the logic of the world when compared to the Word of God so that you know what you believe and why. All right. So when we look at human life through the lens of the word, the first thing that we that we see is that we are not animals. We are not animals. Now, before you science geeks get all up in arms, let me say I recognize that we are members of the animal kingdom. All right, that our scientific taxonomy places us with the mammals and the primates. I get all that. What I'm talking about today is not classifying human life uh, scientifically, but valuing human life. Biologically, we're animals, but spiritually, we are something altogether different. Okay? You see, there's a popular catchphrase that I want to address because it sounds great, but it just doesn't stand up to the light of Scripture. You'll hear people say, well, I believe that all life is sacred. Y'all heard people say that? I believe all life is sacred. And that sounds all warm and fuzzy. But there's a cold and scaly underbelly to that belief. 
Because if all life is sacred, then the corollary is that all life is equal. That we're all the same. That the baby possum and the baby human are somehow equal because they're both alive. That we have the same essence. That life is life and it runs through all of nature. And doesn't that sound warm and fuzzy? But, but I want to show it to you in the Word today because besides the fact that that's just hippie nonsense, it, it's not biblical. Okay? It's, it's not biblical. So if you don't want to bathe and you want to let your hair grow and be a hippie, I, that's all on you, buddy. That's all good. But you, we still have to be biblical. And that's not biblical. And besides the fact that, that it's not biblical, it's, it's a completely different religion. That's animism. That's Hinduism. That, that's a philosophy that's prevalent in yoga and in other forms of Eastern religions. But it's not biblical. So you can't be a believer in Jesus and, and espouse the belief that all life is sacred and all life is the same. I want to show you the truth of the word. Three, three passages, Genesis 1, Psalm 8, and Genesis 2. I want to show you those. We're just going to read them all together. The, uh, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, then God said, let us make human beings in our image. Like, wait a minute, us? Like, who's up there with God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's the, it's the first and clearest evidence of the, twin, of the, of the Trinity. <laughs> That's funny. The gospel according to Mike Tyson right there. Anyway, um, <laughs> God, I really want to keep doing that, but I'm going to stop. Let us, make our, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. And they will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The eighth psalm, verses three through eight. When I, this is the, the psalmist just sort of crying out to the Lord. When I look at the night sky and see the work at your, uh, of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place. Y'all have had an experience like this. What are mere mortals that you should think of them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them, human beings, a little lower than God. Some versions say a little lower than the angels. Either way, a spark of the divine there. And you crowned them, human beings, with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under the authority the, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. One last place, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. What makes us different than the animals? Human beings are created in the image of God. We were created to rule and to reign and to have dominion over the earth, including over the animals. We are not the same as animals. We don't all have the same life force. 
What's inside of us is different. What's inside of us is the breath of God that makes us living souls. There is in every human being the spark of the divine. So when you look at life, human life, through the lens of the word, what's clear is that, first of all, we're not animals. We're not animals. Here's the second thing. We're not only not animals, but we're not accidents. We're not accidents. Let me read you a couple of passages of Scripture, one in Psalm 139 and one in Jeremiah 1. You, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Not that it was dictated by God, but that he knew about it from the beginning. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot even be numbered. Right? Look at Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. He said to the prophet Jeremiah, I knew you. He's a young, this is a, a young man, probably a late teenager, maybe, a, maybe in his early 20s. He said, Jeremiah, I knew you before you were, before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Jeremiah had a job <laughs> before he ever popped out. All right? God gave him that. God gave him that. Now, just those two passages of Scripture ought to be enough to help dispel this myth. Not only are we not accidents of an evolutionary system that's becoming less and less scientifically viable, but we are not accidents uh, that, uh, in any personal situation in our lives either. See, you might have been, um, been unplanned by the two parties who were involved in your conception. You might have even been unwanted by those parties. You might have been, felt, you might have been made to feel unloved. You may have been made to feel like you were a burden or an imposition or an afterthought. Listen to me. This is the word of the Lord today. You are not an accident. Amen. Period. I don't care what the circumstances of your birth were, whether it was a crime or whether it was a plan. You are not an accident. There are no human accidents. From the moment of your conception, God had an amazing plan for your life. He gave you natural gifts. He gave you spiritual gifts for you to use for His kingdom and His honor and His glory. He gave you skills and abilities that you could develop so that you could make a living and so that you could find fulfillment in the work of your life. Your parents may not have planned for you, but God planned for you. Amen. God planned for you. That's one of the reasons why we as believers can't support abortion. We just, we can't. Once that baby's conceived, then he or she has life that's in keeping with God's plan for them. 
So it may be inconvenient or it may be unplanned or it may be painful to even think about because of the circumstances of the conception, but God wasn't surprised by that baby. So when you look at human life through the lens of the Word of God, you see that humans are not accidents. Now, do me a favor real quick. Everybody take a deep breath. Just breathe it right on in there, all right? And let it out before you pass out, all right? Do you know what, what, what just filled your lungs? It, it, besides oxygen and nitrogen, whatever else might be floating around in here. Right. <laughs> Some of you are holding your breath. Um, what just filled your lungs is purpose. Purpose. If you're still breathing, God's got a purpose for you. It wasn't an accident that you were born And guess what? It's not an accident that you're still alive. Human life is different. There is purpose. There is meaning. There's a reason for our existence. The very fact that you can still inhale and exhale is indication that the God of the universe made a decision to give you another day. You say, John, yeah, but I'm sick, or I'm old, or I don't have any obvious gifts for the body of Christ. Nobody cares if I'm dead or alive. Listen, do you think God just looked down here on Sunday morning and went, oh, shoot, he's still alive? (laughs) Like, I meant to take this expiration date was up weeks ago. He's just been floating around with no apparent purpose. Can't believe I left him down there. Isn't that ridiculous? But isn't that how we act? If if God knows the birth and the death of every bird that flies, and that's in the Word, if He knows the blooming and the wilting of every flower, you can rest assured that He knows exactly what's going on in your life right now. This is why we, as believers, can't support euthanasia, physician-assisted suicide, anything like that. Now, listen, are there times when we have to make tough end-of-life decisions? That we have to decide whether or not to resuscitate, decide whether to remove life support, call in hospice? Absolutely. And I've had to walk that dark road in my own family. And it's hard. It's hard. But those things don't cause a person's death. What they really do is place them entirely in the hands of God. And there are many, many cases where when somebody did that, that God revived them and raised them up. But there are also many more cases where ultimately God chose to take them and sometimes fast and sometimes slow. But only God determines when a life is born and only God should be able to determine when a life ends because only God is qualified to make that choice. So when you look through the lens of the Word at human life, you realize that human life is sacred, that we are unique, that we're here for a reason, that we have a purpose that we're not animals and we're not accidents. And here's the last one. I want to take a little time on this one because we don't talk about this one enough. We're not objects. We are not objects. Amen. Here's what I mean. Our value as human beings comes from our connection to the divine. 
right? Our connection with God. We're all just alike in that respect. As, you, as I look out across the congregation, there, nobody looks like anybody else, not completely, not entirely. But what we all definitely have in common is that we all are created in the image of God. That God loves each and every one of us. That He's no respecter of persons. That our value doesn't come in what we do or in what we look like or in what we are able to achieve or not achieve. It isn't given to us. His, the value that God places in us isn't given to us because of our good character. And it's not taken away from us because of our bad character. It comes from whose we are, not in what we do. Amen. We all belong to God. We were intentionally created. And that makes every one of us incredibly important to Him. And because every person is important to God, then we as children of God, every person should be important to us. There should be a level of respect and dignity that we offer to each other simply because we're all human. Now when you lose your biblical worldview, when you fail to recognize the sanctity, the uniqueness of human life, it becomes easy to objectify a certain person or a certain group of people. Now, here's, here's, what does that mean, John? It means that we treat people less like humans and more like objects. That we start to see people as a means to an end to get what we want rather than as a person created in the image of God with a unique plan for their lives. And, and it's rooted in selfishness and arrogance and pride. Okay? Y'all can tell the, uh, the MRI, the spiritual MRI has started, right? All right. Let me give you some examples. You go to a restaurant, as many of us will do today. Go to a restaurant, and the food's not right. So you send it back. And they bring it back. Sometimes it's right then, sometimes it's not right. And you just start all this stuff, or the service is terrible, or whatever it is. And before you know it, you have verbally attacked this waiter or this waitress. You've called the manager over. You've, you've called corporate. You're going to call the White House, Congress, Supreme Court. You're going to call everybody. You're going to put it on Facebook. You've stormed out of the place. Everybody's like, good Lord, have mercy, right? You made this big old deal. Why? Because you only saw the waiter or the waitress in their role. You saw them as being there to serve you, and when they failed to function in their role, you couldn't flip the switch back to see them as a human being. And it's easy to say and do those things in those moments because you've objectified that person. They're no longer a person, they're an object. Now, this mindset is so common that we don't, we don't even think about it sometimes. Do you realize that that's how we treat our spouses in marriage? We objectify our spouses? Many people think their spouse is there to meet their needs. How many times have you heard Bubba and Leroy said, yeah, I had to marry me a good woman because I couldn't make it on my own. Are you kidding me? First of all, like, what woman married you? And who would even have you? And secondly, why would you say that out loud? Right? 
But, but think about that for a second. They're not there to meet your needs. That, that makes them, if that's all they're there for, that makes them the object through which you get what you want. And that's nothing like biblical marriage. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul talks about all kinds of uncomfortable things in, in 1 Corinthians 7. And he says the exact opposite of that. He says our spouses are not there to meet our needs. We're there to meet their needs. Jesus said if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, it's not putting yourself above everybody else. It's not asking people to serve you. It's you humbling yourself and serving them. So she's, listen, she or he is not there to complete you. That's Valentine's Day nonsense. You are there to love and serve them, male or female. It's not a function of gender. It's not a function of wife or husband. We are both there to serve and love our spouses, period. So it's not get in there and fix me some dinner. It's not get out there and fix the car or clean up the yard or fix the house or however we fill in the blanks. Do we have responsibilities? Of course we do. But our spouses don't exist to do those things for us. We have to stop objectifying people, even our spouses. Now, not only has this objectification caused lots of scenes at the Longhorns, and at the Walmarts, and in our marriages, and our work. <laughs> Y'all's mama do that too. I'm going to the Walmarts. Uh, like two, three. Um, they cause lots of problems in our marriages, in our, in our relationships at work. It's been catastrophic in, in, on people and people groups throughout history, this objectification. What are you talking about? Slavery exists... Because one race, or and, and I said exists, present tense, because there is still slavery in the world. More slaves in the world today than there ever have been in the history of mankind. Slavery exists in, in, in the world because one race or group of people decided that they are somehow superior to another race or group of people. And because of their strength or their superior weapons or their sheer numbers, they're able to impose their will upon them and enslave them. They're able to use them. Remember, they're objectifying. They're able to use them to achieve an economic goal or some sort of military objective or, or whatever they're trying to do. He's like, John, I, just, I can't imagine how could anybody ever enslave another human being. I know exactly how they can do that. You know how it starts? It starts with this hellish, ignorant mindset of racism. Racism exists because a person sees another person as a member of a group instead of as an individual creation of God. We start to see people as objects. And how do we do that? We come up with hurtful names. We come up with uh, dehumanizing names. So we, we call them by those names so that we don't see them as human beings. We objectify them. We decide they are not like us, and because they are not like us, then they are no longer deserving of the dignity that we offer to people who look like us. And it breaks the heart of God. You say, but John, listen, this is not a big deal. 
They got their own churches and we got our churches. And as long as we all keep to ourselves and everything is fine, everything is not fine. That mindset is how slavery started. That mindset is how the Holocaust happened. That mindset is how we got segregation and the Jim Crow laws. Once you make someone an object instead of a human, you'd be surprised at what you can convince yourself to do to that person. Say, Pastor, I got a good heart. I'd never do that. Jeremiah said, your heart, like every other human heart, is desperately wicked. That we don't even know the depths of the wickedness of the human heart. But you allow a disease like racism to get into a heart and you, you can't even imagine what we do to each other. Look at what the Word says. 1 John chapter 4. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person's a liar. Listen, you ain't got to be a theologian to understand that verse. For if we don't love people we can see, how do we love God? We can't see Him. And He's given us this command, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. You say, well, John, that only says Christian brothers and sisters. Let's talk about that for just a second. First of all, you're trying to find a way to justify your hatred of another person. So that can't be good. Secondly, if, for instance, you hate a black guy before he gets saved, you ain't just suddenly going to love him after he gets saved. And third, and most importantly, this is not the only place in the Word that addresses this issue. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, love your enemies, not just your brothers and sisters. He said we have to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Right? That's the greatest commandment, he said. Love God and love your neighbor. And then in Luke, he defined neighbor lest we try to find some sort of a loophole to get out of it. And in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he teaches us everybody is our neighbor. Everybody. Look at James chapter 2, verse 9. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. And if you keep reading, James says, you're not just guilty of breaking a law, you're guilty of breaking all of them. So if you look through the lens of the Word of God, you cannot see a member of another race or any other group as inferior, listen, or even as fundamentally different than we are. Because we are all the same. And God expects us to treat each other as such. Ephesians says it very, very clearly. He says there, he, Paul says there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no, there, there's no slave or free. There's no male or female. So he's saying there's no more gender or race or class when it comes to the body of Christ. We are one in him. Amen? We're one. No matter what we look like or where we came from. We can't make objects out of God's creations. And I'm going to keep going. We'll keep going because it happens a lot more than we care to admit. The reason sexual assaults and sexual harassment happen is because people see other people as 
as a means to satisfy their own desires, whether that's sexually or the, the desire for power or, or all the other motivations that cause people to try to dominate each other in, in, these, in, in this way. Do we believe God's called us to begin addressing the issue of human trafficking? It starts right here with the issue of human life. Pornography, prostitution, all the other forms of human trafficking occur because we've objectified people. You say, John, I thought this was going to be a nice message about abortion. Well, it is, but it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. It's time to look at all life through the lens of the Word, not just the babies. See, we, we can't say we want to save the babies because they were created by God and then turn around and devalue women and carry racial bias and hatred in our lives. You can't do that. You, you can't say we want to save the, the babies because it's a divine creation and, and then the black guy or the white guy or the brown guy that you rub shoulders with at work or at school, then if, if the babies are a divine creation of God, then so are the people that we rub shoulders with every day. And if that baby was created by the hand of God, then so is that man or that woman that you've been watching in the pornographic pictures and videos. You see how far-reaching this is? There's no area of life or ministry that isn't affected by the fundamental belief about human life. So we can't dare say we are pro-life and then go home and watch pornography. Or go home and talk to your spouse like they're dogs. Or go to work and flirt with everybody that turns your head. It's demeaning and it's devaluing and it's appalling and it's beneath the dignity that should be given to a living soul created in the image of God. We better not dare talk about how much we hate abortion and then with the same mouth talk about how much we hate a member of a different race. Or make a certain race or group of people the butt of all our jokes. There's such hypocrisy in the church on this issue. We talk out of both sides of our mouths. Either we believe in the sanctity, in the value of every human life, or we don't. And if we do, then why don't we act like it? saying, John, what in the world did you eat for breakfast this morning? Like, what? Good Lord. Why are you being so hard on us? Listen, because we have a mandate from God to get involved in the issue of sex trafficking, and we're not ready. We're not ready. If we walk up in the house of Cherith with judgment in our eyes and biases in our hearts, we're going to fail at what God's called us to do. Amen. See, everybody's excited right now. Everybody wants to get involved. Everybody wants to help. But I'm telling you, when we really start working with these people, when we really start to find out the truth of this issue, it's going to challenge every person's core beliefs. You'll be shaken. Your prejudices and your biases are going to be exposed. We better make sure we know what we believe about human beings. 
We better make sure we know how to treat people. We better make sure we know how to help somebody without judging them or thinking we're better than them. If we look these women in the eye, if we ever get the chance to do that and we look these women in the eye and all we can see is a black lady or a white woman or a Latina or whatever race they are, we just lost our chance to minister to her. If we look her in the eye and all we see is a prostitute, we just lost our chance. We have to look her in the eye and and the pimp that enslaved her. We have to look them in the eye and say, precious child of God. Right? Created in his image, but objectified by a world gone mad and a church gone silent. Not an object of someone's sexual desire, not a slave to somebody's economic goal, not a, not a member of a different race or a different class, but misused and mistreated, maybe confused, maybe made some bad decisions on her own. But at the end of the day, a human being just like you and me. Maybe this is why the church can't witness effectively. That's why we can't win souls. Because we can't stop thinking about how terrible they are and how awesome we are by comparison. We have to stop. We have to stop. Look at people through the lens of the Word of God. Get a biblical worldview about people. People are why Jesus came in the first place. For God so loved the world, he ain't talking about the earth. He's not talking about the geography. He loved the people. That's why he came. That's why he died. People are why he gave us the Holy Spirit. So that we could be witnesses. To give us the power to witness to people who don't know him. To help create disciples out of dead people. See, nobody's sin makes them better or worse than anybody else. We're all guilty. We're all sinners by nature. It takes the blood of Jesus to cover everybody's sin. No matter how you want to characterize it or size it up. Do we hate abortion? Yes, we do. Do we, do we try to work against it? Yes, we do. But listen, our racism and our porn watching, and our objectifying people is just as disgusting in the eyes of God as what we believe abortion is. For the same reason. So listen, we got to look at human life through the lens of God's Word. We're not animals. We're not accidents. We're not objects. We are dearly loved by God, created in his, by His hand and in His will and worth His life on the cross. And that belief system has to permeate our attitudes and our actions if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus. 
He will help us. He'll help us love. Listen, can can we just break it down? This is the South, y'all. And we've been we've all been raised with certain biases and prejudices and beliefs and attitudes towards each other. But remember, a biblical worldview means that we have to hold every issue up to the light of the Word of God. So I don't care what your daddy called those people. Your daddy was wrong. It's time for somebody to step up and say enough's enough. That we're not perpetuating this curse of racism to another generation, that I'm stopping it. We're not going to continue to objectify people and divide people and talk about these people and those people so that everybody that doesn't look like us is worse than us. That's, that's hogwash. We believe God's called us to something important, right? Winning souls to go and make disciples. You're like, yeah, he's called us to the Jericho Project. No, no, no. The, 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 the mission of our church was given to us by Jesus in the Word to go and make disciples of every person. To go to the uttermost parts of the world, to everybody who looks like everything, what, whatever they are, if they're human, it's a potential disciple. And that's their goal. The Jericho Project is one of the ways that we help to make disciples. Okay? So let's make sure we understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. Here's, here's what my prayer is for you today. And, and the intercessory prayer team here at the church has been praying for you and for me all morning. Three things I, that I'm asking them to pray. First of all, that we receive the Word of God. So listen, I know this is hard. This is probably not what you expected to get when you came to church. Sorry about that. I'd like to say next week will be better, but I can't make any promises. What you have to decide is not whether you liked it or not, but is it the truth or not? Is it the Word of God or not? And if it is the Word of God, then what I want you to do is receive the Word of God. Just say, God, I don't understand it. I hadn't perfected it. I can't figure it out. I, don't, you know, I may not even agree with it, but it's, it's the truth and I receive it. Then I want you to reflect on it. I want you to do what the psalmist said. That we, that, that we use all the time. Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. <laughs> Try me and know my ways and see if there's anything in me that's not pleasing to you. One version says anything that's offensive to you. And then lead me in the path everlasting. So receive the word, reflect on it. And if the Lord reveals an area of your life that you need to fix, that you need to change, then repent. Repent. And repentance isn't about shedding a few tears. It's not about coming and saying, yeah, I messed up. Sorry about that, God. It's the, it's the sincere desire of your heart to change. Repentance is about change. So if you have no intentions of changing, then don't bother apologizing. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. 
just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.